The product is the marketing. Yesterday very generously delivered a small breakthrough in understanding what I find so interesting about, quote, streamers. By streamers, I mean people who are earning money from some kind of audience on Twitch or other platforms. The insight is small, but deeply fascinating. With streamers, the product is the marketing. With my clients, marketing is this extra burden. It's this other business function that requires work, learning, investment, and discipline. It's this extra job above and beyond service delivery. There's nobody to delegate it to. And even if there was, the delegation would be a multi-year apprenticeship rather than a simple task delegation. But what if it wasn't? What if it wasn't an extra job? What if it was bundled with the service delivery? What if the service delivery itself was the marketing? If that could be done, then marketing would not be this extra job. It would be a byproduct of service delivery itself. Some of you are saying, congratulations, Philip, you've invented the feast famine cycle. Thinking that just doing good work would get me a stable flow of opportunity is what led me to my last feast famine cycle. And by the way, aren't you always going on about the necessity of marketing your business? You're not wrong, and I'm not trying to say that you are. What I'm doing here is exploring an idea that I found compelling, a sort of one plus one equals three style bundling. Back to the streamers. The more sophisticated ones operate what we, we using what we could think of as a freemium model. This is the same that a lot of iOS and Mac apps use. The free version does a lot of useful stuff, the upgrade is in-app, and payment is collected via a subscription more often than a one-time payment. Both freemium apps and streamers have to do some, quote, marketing. Apps need at least a simple one-page site that describes the app, and maybe that site makes a case for the value of the app. Apps need to do what they can to optimize their app store listing. For their marketing, Twitch streamers often invest in logos or on-screen graphics or professional equipment in order to stand out in the Twitch listing for their category. However, to a striking degree, for both freemium apps and streamers, the product is the marketing. The mechanism by which a free user becomes a paying customer is their experience of the app or their experience of the streamer. They get to experience a useful version of the thing for free, and payment up unlocks an expanded version of the same experience. Services, on the other hand, are delivered secretly. Often that's by design, sometimes it's just because that's what's normal for services. If you started coughing up blood, how eager would you be to live stream the doctor's appointment where the doctor delivers your diagnosis? What if it's something really terrible like cancer? Of course you would want a context of secrecy surrounding that experience. We try to compensate for the delivery of services in secret by publishing case studies, testimonials, other post hoc artifacts that come from successful engagements. You don't see any of that with streamers. 
Aside from things like archived video of their stream or short clips of peak moments from a longer stream. The other thing we do to compensate for the secret nature of service delivery is to convert the expertise that comes from the service delivery into two forms of content marketing. First, demonstrations of expertise, and second, thought leadership. Explained simply, demonstrations of expertise are using content, writing, speaking, teaching, etc., to demonstrate that you know how to do something. Thought leadership looks more like helping others understand how to think about something or simply telling them what to think. All of these, the case studies, the testimonials, the content marketing, these are all post hoc artifacts. They aren't the service delivery itself and producing them is a second job above and beyond the service delivery itself. How, with the delivery of professional services, could the product, the service delivery, also be the marketing? Everything I think of in response to this question sounds utterly ridiculous. <laughs> Stuff like live stream the key moments of a client engagement. And if, to be clear, the live streaming is not because anyone would want to consume video of a client engagement real time, but because it signals a lack of editing and therefore the presence of an unvarnished truth. Or uh, record and publish the end of project meeting where both what went well and what could have been improved are discussed with a high degree of candor. Again, I know this stuff sounds completely ridiculous. I cannot imagine anyone on either the consultant or client side wanting to do things this way. And even if we did want to do things this way, there would be additional challenges. Project delivery exists within a context. And some decisions and approaches on that project only make sense within that specific context. The post hoc nature of content marketing entails extra work, but it also allows us to move our expertise out of the specific context of a single client and into the more broadly experienced context of the market we serve or a specific market segment or buyer persona. So content marketing actually lets us make our expertise more broadly useful. Again, I'm not arguing for live streaming all the things, but there is something compelling about how streamers collapse marketing into service delivery. And I keep wondering what we indie consultants can learn from this. I've been successful with collapsing or bundling in other areas. I advocate high frequency publication because it bundles the cultivation of expertise with marketing, and it does so in a productive way. I sent an email recently called Grazing Leads to Cow Pass, Leads to Roads. It's a recent elaboration of this idea. I rarely quote myself, mostly I just repeat myself in dozens of slightly varying ways. But I think a quote from that email will be helpful here. Here goes. I am explicitly recommending that folks in the expertise incubator act like cows. Just graze semi-randomly all over the field of your interest, and as you do, you will return again and again to certain areas. Your hooves will wear cow paths into the field. These cow paths are the topics that you're truly interested in, and those topics become an armature around which you cultivate points of view and rare, valuable expertise. The cow paths become roads. 
In the Expertise Incubator, you're not just writing, you are publishing. There's a world of difference between the two. Publishing lets others see you, see your writing and thinking, and lets them react to it. If you publish via email list, the reactions take the form of a reply, which converts your broadcast into a one-to-one conversation that can be quite intimate. As a result, the audience of your email list can participate in creating CalPaths with you. If you care about serving them, you'll use their replies to try to see them, to try to empathize with their confusion or pain or longing for something better. These replies will generate information that pulls you here or there in your wanderings over the field of topics you could write about. When you publish, instead of merely writing, you serve your audience by finding areas of shared interest, things you care about, grass that you find intellectually nourishing and delicious, that they also care about. So you create cow paths in or closer to these areas of shared concern. That's the end of the quote from the previous email. Publishing at high frequency bundles the cultivation of expertise with something you should already be doing, which is marketing. This approach on its own is not enough to cultivate valuable expertise. You still need to be doing client work or primary research, ideally both, to ground your thinking in reality. Still, the frequent publication is one hell of an accelerant for your thinking. And if that publication is the only real marketing you do, it can be really effective marketing. And then there's this. It's a tweet from uh, some person I don't know, uh, Sue Month, uh, who goes by Sue Mastodon on Twitter. And he tweets, Stratechery falls under the same type of infotainment as Gary V, Slate Star Codex, and Prof Galloway. It's written for people who do absolutely nothing directly related to what the content is often about, which is tech, business, strategy, and entrepreneurship. And then if you look at the replies to the tweets... You see Ben Thompson, author of Stratechery, replying, saying, Interesting observation. One of the great things about subs is that I know who my readers are, so I'm inclined to disagree about who my audience is. It is true, though, that being entertaining matters. Humans like stories more than they do analysis. The trick is to deliver both. A brief cruise through the replies to this tweet shows Sue Mastodon getting pretty roundly excoriated. But his take and the, and the responses to it raise an interesting question. What role does entertainment play in serious business stuff and marketing that serious business stuff? In my email marketing, I've long been willing to ship a message about business wrapped inside what are sometimes completely silly stories. I'm operating on the theory that maybe the lowered guard that follows a laugh is a good pathway to a changed mindset. This leads us to Matt Levine. I don't know what to, I don't know to what extent he's considered a quote serious source of information on financial markets. Now, I'm not sure that analyst is the genre he's playing in anyway. He's more like a commentator with an analytical streak. Either way, his tweets, oh my God, his tweets, <laughs> they're this Dada-ish gateway into his entertaining but substantive commentary on financial markets. Here's a recent tweet from him. 
This newsletter has presented me as an international man of action, using secret documents to forge links with traders in a years-long operation. I don't know where he gets the found object raw material that he converts into these fantastical statements about himself in his newsletter, but the effect is really nice. It's the same kind of humor value chain that Sarah Cooper is operating within. There's a found object that's put into a different context that makes it more funny. Artists have been doing this for this kind of context hacking for quite a while. If you look up uh, Duchamp's fountain, it's a urinal that was placed in an art museum and um, I think had word, the word fountain written on it. That's the kind of context hacking I'm talking about. You know, this content context thing is really interesting. With Sarah Cooper, it's taking the content of a dim-witted narcissist being treated like an intelligent president and putting it in the context of a talented comedian's use of movement and facial expressions and visual gags. With Matt Levine, it's taking the content of financial markets and the complexities thereof and putting those in the context of pattern matching with a humorous twist. One of the things Matt Levine says is, everything is securities fraud. And he also has an ability to notice and focus on the way that money makes people crazy and crazy people make money. With Ben Thompson, it's taking the content of serious analysis of the tech world and putting it in the context of a low-priced direct-to-consumer subscription model. I have to wonder, actually, if that's what Sue Mastodon is really reacting against. Every person he named in his tweet makes use of mass media or direct-to-consumer distribution. Now, I don't know the Sue Mastodon guy, so I can't say, but this is a common pattern, actually, this sort of reaction that this can't be serious content because it's in some particular context that appears unserious to that person. Dismissing contexts out of hand because they're not, quote, serious context for business content strikes me as a serious error. Further, I think this content context thing is interesting because a fair number of my clients are more like innovators than opinion leaders. So they need to find ways to, quote, distribute their innovative ideas to their market. And putting the content of an innovative, uh, innovative idea in an unexpected content, <laughs> let me start that over. Putting the content of an innovative idea in an unexpected context is a potential distribution for a channel for innovation because I suspect early adopters are more open to the future value of what's happening in these non-businessy contexts. And innovators rely on these early adopters for the distribution that they need to get their ideas to market. To swing this all around to the opening point, uh, Sue Mastodon is criticizing Ben Thompson, and Ben Thompson's Stratechery publication is a great example of the product is the marketing. Ben sends one free email and three paid emails per week, and the free email is the same quality, the same thinking, the same feel as the paid emails. So the free emails are a useful thing on their own, but they become even more useful when you pay to upgrade because you get more context and more coverage of the topic that Ben's focused on. Stratechery is more product-like than service-like, but as with streamers, 
it's an example that gets us thinking about exploring the edges, the open countryside of thought, rather than the crowded, noisy downtown of thinking. I'll add one more note before I wrap up here. I say that dismissing certain contexts out of hand is an error because it's an error that I have made and continue to make a lot. So I use the internet all the time, and I still make the error of underestimating the importance of the virtual or the digital. Esports has been a recent example for me. So my default thinking goes, if there's both a real and a virtual slash digital version of something, of course the market is going to prefer the real version. That's narrow thinking. It suggests that's what's like real about sports, uh, to take auto racing as an example, is the physicality of the car and the track. What if what's real about auto racing is actually the strategy of positioning your vehicle in a certain way or how you react to a fast-moving, ever-changing context? Well, in that case, both the physical and the virtual versions are real.